welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hello, welcome, good morning, hi. My name is Kirby Groves and I have a reflection on joy to share with you this morning. If you meet joy, kill it with all your might. Destroy it until it is debris. If you find the debris of joy, burn it. Set it aflame. Watch the rapids of fire turn joy into smoke, into air. If you breathe joy, spit it out. Exhale for eternity. If it means you must pass on, do so. Then you may know, know, then you may know the impermeability of joy and the nature of its existence in the ecosystem of the spirit. You cannot destroy it. So let this be an invitation. Please let it wash over you. Please let yourself feel because it would be a terrible shame if joy reached out her hand to you and you did not have eyes to see it. Welcome, 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 everyone. We're glad you're here. Uh, My name is Micah, if we have not met. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Um, Some housekeeping before we jump in. If you're new to Awaken, we're really glad that you're with us. We'd love to know that you were here. So in the seat pockets in front of you or online on our homepage, you can fill out that newcomer card that comes into us. Somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. Uh, You can get to know us a little. We can get to know you. Um, Some things we want to let you know about in terms of the life of the church um, as follows. Oh, uh, those cards and any tithes or offerings that you may have brought, those can go, if you fill them out here, in the black boxes at each of the exits. And I will also just remind you, um, as uh, lots of nonprofits function in this fashion, December makes up a very, uh, well, the largest percentage of our budget, about 20% of Awaken's budget comes in in the month of December. So just a reminder um, to those of you that call Awaken home, like grateful for your support, your investment in this church and the community that it is. Uh, if, you're, if you're interested and in looking for a place to give year-end, um, I just really believe in our church. And so I can stand up here and say, like, I think that's a really good investment for good things in the world. So I invite you to consider that as you do. Uh, there are some things we want to let you know about, the first of which is tomorrow night, uh, Art and I, our former board chair who's now uh, filling in for Jenna on her maternity leave, we're hosting a Zoom meeting Related to our lease and our space, uh, this building, we rent it currently, and that lease ends March of 2025. There are a few hiccups or uh, things we're trying to negotiate our best on in terms of uh, us being able to do the ministry that we feel called to do here in this building and all the the weddings that we want to do. And uh, so we want to kind of fill you in on where we're at with that. So if you're interested in that conversation, that's tomorrow night. There's a Zoom meeting, so you can fill out the form online, and you will get a Zoom link tomorrow by email for that meeting at 6.30. There's a youth Christmas party for the youths in the room. Trevor, how you doing? There you go. Uh, December the 20th, that's 6.30, so if that applies to you or anyone you love, you can let them know. Um, We are doing a learning lab in the new year, 
and want to let you know about it because uh, the, the winter offerings don't go out for a bit. So um, usually in the fall, in the winter, and then in the spring, we try to do three different educational discipleship kinds of opportunities for adults at Awaken around things that we think matter and that we care about as people of faith. My good friend, Evie Peterson, who is here this morning, uh, is a life coach uh, and career coach, has worked with young adults, but also um, older adults in, well into their career, and she is no joke. Um, so Evie's going to be with us for four weeks, January 21, 28, February 4, and February 11. And the, the Learning Lab is really about like taking pause in your life, wherever you are, whether you're new in your career or advanced in your career, and just kind of taking stock of like, where have I been? Where am I currently? What do I want going forward? And then like actual uh, plan to help move in that direction. And as I mentioned, Evie is um, solid gold on this kind of activity. And so really, really privileged to have her lead us in that. So more details in the Awaken Weekly. I will say uh, it's 6.30 Sunday nights except for Super Bowl Sunday. That on the 11th, we'll do that at noon. So there you go. Why, why compete when you don't have to? Why pick a fight when you don't have to pick a fight? You know what I mean? Um, Christmas Eve, holy cats, you guys, that is next Sunday. Wow. Who's excited about Christmas Eve? Anybody? I love Christmas. It's so great. I will say this is really unfortunate with the weather, though. I'm having, I'm sad about that. Very sad. But either way, Christmas will come. Doesn't matter if the weather cooperates. That's next Sunday, 2 and 4 here at Awaken. There is no kids' community programming. We have activity bags for the little kiddos. They're welcome to join us in the gathering. The nursery will be open for uh, anyone who needs it. And uh, both hours are the same. Both hours will be live streamed. So in the event that you can't make it, uh, that is available. And then last but not least, so excited about this one, from Christmas to New Year's, the offices of Awaken are closed, people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The staff is very excited about that. Um, and uh, that's a gift we give to them, and um, I say we, the board gives to us, uh, which I'm grateful for. And then the, the 31st, Sunday the 31st, no church. So, um, fare thee well. <laughs> Best to you in the new year. <laughs> uh, and we'll be back in January with Epiphany, a new series for Epiphany I'm very excited about. All right, yeah, Epiphany. Somebody loves Epiphany. I got a tattoo, an Epiphany tattoo last year. I don't have any tattoos. I'm joking. Uh, okay, you, you, may, you probably know what today is, and that is the penultimate Advent day. That means not the final, but almost the final. One of my favorite words in the English language, so I use it every time I get an opportunity to. Today is the penultimate in our series on Advent, the journeys of Christmas. And so we have been in the last four weeks looking at the people in and around the Christmas story and the journeys that they've been on. So we started with Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, right? Visited by an angel, mouth is closed for nine months while he waits for the birth of his son John. We looked at Joseph and what it must have been like, maybe what it, what it, was, what it was like for him to journey um, to this new idea that was not a part of the plan, um, his fiance with child. We looked at Mary and her coming to terms with, be it unto me just as you say, God, um, here I am. Beautiful, profound, and then the Magnificat. A uh, couple of weeks ago, we looked at Mary and Joseph and their journey together from Nazareth to Bethlehem and what it would have been like to come back to home when it wasn't really home anymore. And then last week, we looked at the Magi of Matthew uh, chapter 2, which included Herod. And I'd like to just pause for a moment for uh, a small... Well, no, I'd like to pause for a moment to make an apology to you all uh, if you were here last week. 
We talked about Herod a lot because he's in the story with the Magi. And I used a number of words to describe Herod, including, he was a very complicated historical character. I used words like crazy, psycho, paranoid, um, schizophrenic. Uh, and, and those were very close to other words that I used around like evil and dark and sinister. And um, someone emailed me this last week, which is always fair for you all who attend our church, uh, and said, you know, I, I trust, Micah, that you didn't intend to create this kind of an atmosphere, but I want to just reflect to you kind of what I experienced in that. Um, and I'm assuming, uh, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, that you didn't mean to, but for anyone who has um, struggled with mental health or has had a mental health um, diagnosis or anyone in the disability community, like that just wasn't a very hospitable environment. And... Um, so I wanted to reflect that to you. So that email came to me, and as I sat with that, um, they're absolutely right, 100%. And um, that is obviously, but maybe not obviously, not my intention, uh, wasn't my intention, and, uh, and I'm really sorry that uh, I did that. Um, if you felt that at all, um, my deepest apologies. Um, you know, being a communicator is really, really fun, but it's also, you know, high risk. <laughs> Because uh, anything you say can and will be used against you at a court of law. Um, so I want to just pause here for a moment. One, to apologize. But then also, two, to, to just, if I may, comment about the kind of community that we're trying to cultivate at Awaken. And it's a community where we, where we can send an email like that and say, hey, I, I trust you and you've... you've been here for 13 years and I've grown to, to trust your voice and so I'm assuming that you didn't intend that but would you like can I give you the benefit of the doubt um, can you provide context or can you nuance what you said can you help me understand what you were saying where that's the kind of community we're cultivating where we don't like put someone on blast on social media looking for some gotcha moment you know to um, but rather because that's what healthy relationships do uh, they lean in they don't ghost uh, when someone... Listen, guys, if you're here long enough, I will offend you. Like, I guarantee you, my wife will double down on that statement. Like, just stick around long enough, and at some point, I'm going to say something that you don't like or disagree with. And I'm grateful that this is a church where, like, the pastor doesn't have to be perfect. And I can try, and I can do my best and make mistakes. And so last week was a mistake that I made. And so I wanted to apologize, but then also just highlight like a, a bit of culture moment here. This is what we're trying to do. Um, and I want to invite you into that as a community. Is that fair? Great. Um, well, applause, actually, applause to the person who wrote the email, who had the courage to say, you know what? Yeah. Um, so this is the beginning of the conversation, this pulpit. It's not the end. Most of the time in church, this is the end of the conversation. And, all, and any questions, they stop here. But that's not how we see this. This is the beginning. So, um, having said that, Luke chapter 2, uh, the shepherds. So, uh, Angie, if you would, make your way up. I'd invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of the word. We do that, in case you're wondering, because, um, you know, as an athlete, I grew up and there was like a ready position for like you're ready to play. You know, this is like a readied position. Feet square, chin up, I'm listening. So, we want to honor the scriptures, so here we go. Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Pray with me. God, this morning we pause for a moment as we turn our attention to this story and the shepherds and their experience, what it might say about who you are and um, who you invite us to be. I pray that by your spirit you would uh, speak a word of encouragement, a reminder, a word of hope, of joy, of peace to us. Uh, wherever, we're, wherever we are, that you would find us there, that we would experience you as Emmanuel today. I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the spirit. The church said together. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, really, I want to do two things this morning. Two things this morning. Uh, who are the shepherds? We're going to do a little history, a little background, digging into some of the ancient world. Like, who are these guys? And then, really, what were they told and what did they do with that information? So, that's where we're headed. Um, who are the shepherds? A lot of people preach sermons around Christmas, and a lot of pastors get up. I, I have, actually. I've, I've been, uh, fault, uh, what could you say? I've been, I could be accused of this. You know, standing up here and saying, like, with def definition about, the shepherds were these guys. And actually, there's a lot of debate about who the shepherds were in the ancient world. So I want to just share a little bit of that with you to kind of let you into the process. Uh, and also to get a sense of, like, gosh, I wonder, you know, like, I wonder who they were. I wonder what they were like. I wonder what these characters were. So, um, little excursus uh, to who, who are the shepherds? Um, Abraham and Sarah. Didn't think I was going there, did you? <laughs> uh, Abram and Sarai in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, they're told by God about this promise that God would bless them and their family and they would become this large family and through them they would be a blessing to the whole world. So their names are Abram and Sarai. Their names get changed to Abraham and Sarah. And then the song... Father Abraham was written shortly after that. Um, Sarah has much difficulty getting pregnant and uh, eventually finally does, and she births a son, and that son's name was Isaac. So you have Abraham, and then you have Isaac, two generations of Israel's history. Isaac uh, eventually marries a woman named Rebekah, and they have two sons, and those two sons are named Jacob and Esau. So now you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of Judaism. You've probably heard that said before. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Um, Jacob tricks his brother Esau into stealing his birthright, he, which is not cool at all. Kids, don't do that. Esau wants to kill him. Jacob flees, and he goes to his, cousin, or his uncle Laban's house, like far across the land, in order to uh, not be killed by his brother. And um, when he gets there, he meets two women whose names are Leah and Rachel. He fancies one of them and says to Laban, I'll work for seven years to marry your daughter. Laban's like, that's a pretty good deal. So that happens. And then on his wedding night, he is, they get switched. When a turn of events, <laughs> I can't remember which one he liked and which one he didn't want to marry. But the one he didn't want to marry gets switched. And he wakes up the next day and he's like, wait a minute. You're not the one that I was going to marry. Which, can we just be honest about that? What a weird story. I've always thought is so bizarre, you know, like, how are you not present for that? I don't know. I just don't know. Either way, he's like, well, I like her so much, I'll work another seven years, and so he does. Leah and Rachel marry Jacob. Those two, with, their maid, with Jacob's maidservants, provide 12 children to Jacob. So Jacob's the curve crasher for, like, the biblical definition of marriage. Don't want to go look in there, huh. okay? <laughs> they give him 12 sons. These 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel, right? If you've read the Old Testament, you know about these folks. Um, in that story of these 12 sons being born, I want to zoom in a little bit to a moment, Genesis chapter 35, where Jacob and his family are traveling. Rachel is pregnant, and we read this. They journeyed from Bethel, Beit El, the house of God, and there was but a little way to come to uh, Ephrath. There we are. And Rachel travailed. She had hard labor, and it came to pass that when she was in hard labor, and the midwife said to her, Fear not, you shall have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was departing, for she died, she called his name Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. Her father, Jacob, also known as Israel, called the boy Benjamin, Benjamin, son of my right hand. And Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Okay, bringing it back around to our story. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave, to this day. Israel, Jacob, journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Adair. In Hebrew, that would say Migdal Adair, which means the tower of the flock. Why am I telling you this? A few things to note. Just outside of Bethlehem, like a thousand paces, is this hill called Migdal Adair. And on that hill, there is a tower where shepherds would watch their flocks. It was a, like, a strategic location, and you could sit up on top of the hill and watch the grazing animals below you, and you could kind of see all the things that might be coming down the way. So it was a great spot to raise flocks. We know that Jacob had a whole bunch of animals that he got from his uncle Laban, and when he spread his tent, that means he settled there for a bit, and he lived at Migdal Adair on this hill near Bethlehem. Um, we know that Jacob eventually makes his way to Egypt because his dumb kids sell their brother into slavery, Joseph, right? You remember that story? They go down to Egypt because there's a famine in the land. But 14 generations later, we get another character that you're probably familiar with, a guy named David. David's born in Bethlehem. Anybody remember what David's job was? He was a shepherd. So where was David shepherding his sheep? Migdal Adair, in the fields surrounding 
Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem. So when David pens, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. Where is he? Right here, Migdalator, just outside of Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem, on this hill where they would have had this strategic place to raise their animals. Now, the prophet Micah says a couple of really interesting things about Bethlehem and Migdal Ader in his book. He writes this in chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. What's he saying? This promised Messiah that's coming will come from Bethlehem, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And then in chapter 4. As for you, watchtower of the flock... Migdal Ader, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to you, daughter Jerusalem. Isn't this very interesting how all this is like weaving together in some crazy story that you'd never believe was true? Here's the theory about the shepherds. Every day during the temple sacrifices, there were two sacrifices, in the, one in the morning and one in the evening, and they would have required a firstborn male lamb with no blemish. And so the temple would have employed shepherds to watch the sheep nearby in the hills, near and around Jerusalem, maybe Bethlehem, maybe Migdal Ader. So who is it that the angels come to on the night and the skies peel open and they announce this news? One theory is to a group of people who would have been very familiar with firstborn lambs. One group of people who would have, when a firstborn lamb of male uh, uh, gender was born, they would have wrapped that lamb in swaddling clothes so as to not blemish it so that it could be used in sacrifice at the temple down the road. Are you picking up all the pieces here? One theory about who the shepherds were. Another theory about who the shepherds were is that this is a, this is a really unruly lot, uh, a, a, an unreputable crowd of people. They were the bottom of the bottom. They were the, like the bottom of the barrel. Like the, the JVB team didn't make the cut, they ended up shepherds, that kind of thing. And in the ancient world, there's a lot of literature about shepherds, and it doesn't speak very kindly of them. Uh, a guy named Jeremiah, uh, Joachim Jeremiah, who's quoted in Alfred Edersheim's classic work, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, he says, most of the time they, shepherds, were dishonest and thieving. They led their herds onto other people's land and pilfered the produce of their land. Uh, you were told, don't buy anything from a shepherd because they were left uh, like unwatched for long periods of time. And they often would steal things, produce or uh, uh, animals. And so if a shepherd's like, hey, if I got a deal for you, you might want to pass. It's like the Rolex guy, you know what I mean? Probably stolen, right? Uh, they weren't allowed uh, to testify in court. We know that's true in the ancient world. They couldn't hold an office in the court. Uh, they, um, there's a midrash on Psalm 23 that says, there is no more dis disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. So you have one theory where these guys are, you know, they're actually like employees of the temple. And to them, the angels arrive. You have another theory about these guys are like the lowest of the low. Like you don't want to be a shepherd. And it's to these guys that the, that the angels appear to. There's actually another theory that they were women. Huh? There are shepherdesses in the Old Testament. Remember when Moses walks up to the well and he finds a wife? Her name was Zipporah. Pregnant ladies in the room. That one's for you, Zipporah. She's a shepherdess. 
Uh, Leah, and, Leah and Rachel actually were shepherdesses. So they're, they're, and, 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 and also, like, if there were shepherds who came to uh, birth, like, who would not be welcomed into that scene? Men. <laughs> so there's a whole theory about the shepherds being women, which I just think is fascinating. Here's my point. Which one was it? I have no idea. And, and really smart people disagree about this. What I think we can say, and I think is consistent with the Christmas message, is that these are of a, the, the, when, the, when the angels appear to the shepherds in the fields uh, watching their flocks by night, we can say this is a lower class of people. These were not the powerful. These were not the elite. These folks didn't have PhDs. They were not well-educated. They smelled really badly. They basically worked with dumb animals all their life. They were low class. And it's to them that the angels appear. When the angels come to the church service, they don't appear to this group. They go downstairs to the kindergarten room. Right? We can say that these angels not only came to a lower class group of people, but they, uh, they came not in places of power or importance. Remember the Magi? They go searching for Jesus, the baby boy, to be born in Jerusalem. And, and, and they're like, he's not here. Why? Because when God appears, God doesn't appear the way we expect God to appear, in the places we expect God to expect, the way we think God should appear. No, God appears on the backside of Bethlehem, right? Like in the country with the, with the simple-minded folk. And in the dark of night. Do you remember Nicodemus? He comes to Jesus in the dark of night, cloaked like with a question underneath the radar. What does it mean that the God of the universe, when God wants to make it, itself known to all, does so to shepherds in a field outside of the places of power in the dark of night? It fits the rest of the whole story, you know. And it actually, I think, adds credibility to the story. If you wanted to convince somebody about a story, you would not say that women were the first witnesses, that shepherds heard the angels, that they heard about it in Bethlehem. This is not a good marketing plan at all. But that's the way it happened. So what can we say about the shepherds? I just think it's fascinating to wonder, like, who they were. You know, like, you close your eyes and you imagine that night, and the stars are out, and these shepherds are out there. Who were they? A couple of good options, but I don't think anyone can say for sure. I think we can say that the way in which it happened is very consistent with the rest of this story, which says a lot about who God is. What did they hear? And what was their experience? What were they told and what was their experience? So remember, right? They're out there. Close your eyes if you would, if you just imagine. Sometimes I read or I, I listen to the stories as they're read and just close my eyes and imagine I'm there. So you're out there. You're a shepherd. You're young. You smell. You have not showered in a long time. You have like watched the sunset and the moon rise on this hill many, many times. You have fallen asleep and you have always woken up with nothing of consequence having happened. <laughs> and that night, the, the sky peels back and a bright light is shown. And there is an angel of the Lord who says to you, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, not for just the powerful, not for the elite, not for the people at the top. No, for all the people this day in the city of David, just down the way, a Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord is born to you. 
you will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And if that wasn't good enough, then a whole choir of angels shows up and begins to sing, glory, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to good, goodwill towards men on whom God's favor rests. And then you're like, wow. You look at your friends and you're like, are you seeing this? And they're like, yes. So what do the shepherds do? They, they hurry. They run to the place where they were told, this is what you will find and this is what God is like. And so they run. And what do they find? They find exactly what they were told. Just as they were told, they find the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the anointed one. And they find him wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. This is where you're to go. This is what you will find. And this is what God is like. And so for the shepherds, it was just as they were told. And so the question is, well, what do you do when that happens? Like, how do they respond? I would suggest if you read closely, you see two things. Verse 17 reminds us that they testify to what they had seen. They tell everybody that, they can, that, that will listen to them what they've seen and heard. So they begin to share this story. And then in verse 20, it says that they worship. They, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they were told. Uh, do any of you have friends who love food, like they're kind of foodies, they find new restaurants and they like tell you about them, and oftentimes they get very excited about these things, you know what I mean? They're like, oh my gosh, you guys, I went to this new place and it had the best gnocchi, you would not believe, you have to try the gnocchi, and then you gotta get the creme brulee, it's like heavenly, you've never had anything like it, and you're like, wow, okay, <laughs> and they're like, I, I just want so much for you. Like, you deserve better than Applebee's. Like, go to this restaurant. And so you've been told, go to this place. And this is what you will find. And this is what the food will be like. And you go there. And how many of you have had that experience where you're like, yeah, that's not just like they said. <laughs> I don't know who was serving or who the cook was or what, but like, we got two different stories going on here. But then sometimes you go to that restaurant and you're like, oh my lands, how have I lived 46 years and not found this treasure? And so then what do you do? You tell your friends, you're like, you would not believe this restaurant, you guys, you have to go there. The gnocchi's amazing, the creme brulee is amazing, and you deserve better than Applebee's. You testify. You just tell your story. Because you love the people around you. Like the people that you care about, you tell them these things because they deserve better than Applebee's. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and so you testify. You just share your experience. And you say, this is what I was told. And this is what I was told it would be like. And it was. It was amazing. You should get some. You should try it. And then you, you, like, you, you lift up this experience, don't you? You're like... This place. Do you know what that's called in the Bible? Worship. This thing. This God. This experience. And you give yourself to it. That's called worship. That's, all, that's, what, the, that's what the shepherds do. They testify to their experience and they worship. Now here's the million dollar question. What happens when someone says, you should go here. This is where you're going to find it. And this is what you'll find. And then you go, and it is not like they said. What happens when your friend, your pastor, your mom, your dad, the person on a 
TV commercial or a billboard or whatever says, this is, what, this is where you should go to find God. If you're interested in God, this is where you should go, and this is what you will find. And when you get there, it is not just like they said. You get there, and you were told, like, everybody is welcome. And then you find out there are actually a whole bunch of strings attached to that. Even though on the sign out front, it doesn't say everyone is welcome with strings attached. It just says everyone is welcome, as if to trick you all. You were told, if you go here, your life will be better. And you go, and you're like, they don't look better. They're divorced as much as everybody else. They, they're, they don't, they're not nice to each other. Like, you go, and you're around these people, and you're like, I don't know what you're smoking or what you're selling, but, like, these people's lives don't seem better because of this good news they found. What happens when you experience that? What happens when you go to that place where you were told to go and this is what you would experience? And in fact, you were told God is a God of second chances and there's just bodies all around, like bleeding from judgment. What happens when you're told this, like God's a healer and can do anything and like your loved one doesn't make it? So I want to pause this morning. I want to conclude this And I want to spend some time with this moment of like, you were told this is where you should go if you want to find God and this is what God is like. For those of you for whom that's true, you were told this is where you can go to find God and this is what God is like. And you, for the most part, that's been true for you. I celebrate that. I think that's beautiful and wonderful. You you were told to... If you're interested in God and Jesus, this is where you should go, and this is what you'll find. And what you found was Jesus is exactly faithful. He, Jesus is like a healer and a friend and a confidant and like an intimate like soul partner in this thing called life. Like, wonderful. I'm so glad. Can I invite you to respond as the shepherds responded? Like, would you testify to that being the case for you? That like that actually happened for you? There's not a lot of that out there right now. And we need more of it, amen? So, the, you know, you've been to that sermon series where like the pastor gives the card out and there's, are, what, put five names down on this card here and start praying for your friends. Okay, uh, fine, I'm not gonna do that. And let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Do you love your friends? Are there people in your life that you care about? And you, you found, maybe you found something here at Awaken. And like this is a, a well, and you're drinking living water. You, someone once said, I feel when I come here, I can breathe for the first time in a long time. If that's true about you, who, who, who in your life, like, do you want to experience that? Like, can I invite you to think about them, to, to like bring them to mind and hope and pray with the spirit that they might make their way here, if in fact this is what you say it is, and we are what we hope to be. So to those of you who find yourself in that category, would you testify? And worship. What does it mean for you to like actually lift up this God that you, this good news gospel thing that you found, right? The parables Jesus tells about a pearl of great price. You'd sell, you'd buy the whole darn field just to get that thing. What does it mean for you to worship? The Magi come and they give something of great value of their own in order to reveal, honor, respect, worship this Christ. What does that mean for you? I'm not going to make that, I'm not going to decide, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but what does it mean for you to worship, to surrender, to say, here I am, like Mary? To those of you who, <laughs> who, who claim to be a part of the destination where people are sent to go and find God, and this is what God is like, for those of you who like call this place home, where we were the destination in some ways, 
Can we, can we commit to like becoming and being the kinds of people who we say God is like? Like when they come, when people come here, that they might experience grace and kindness and hospitality. Yeah? Like wisdom, um, forgiveness, mercy, maturity. Can we commit to becoming, like with the Spirit's help, growing as people who follow this Jesus and becoming and being the kinds of people who represent and embody the things that we say are true about God? That's a high call. I get it. But can we do that together? And we're not going to do it perfectly. I just started the sermon with my idiotic comments. So clearly, like, room for mess-ups here, okay? But can we together commit to that? And then also in the same breath, commit to not taking on anything that's not ours to take on. Meaning, God doesn't need our defense. You know, so often, like, Christian people, they feel compelled to defend God in the public square. And I just think God's probably capable of doing that for themselves. And in fact, really, God's up there just saying, just don't wreck it. You know what I mean? Like, actually, if you could stop talking so much, that would be helpful. I was once told by this youth pastor guy, he was like, hey, if you're going to, like, bring, you know, try to show Jesus to kids, I'm really good at this game, using words to communicate. If you're going to be a youth pastor and you're going to tell people about Jesus, here's what you do. Just, like, be a total idiot. Like, get their attention and then just duck. Like assuming Jesus is back here. Just get their attention and then get out of the way. Just duck. So, to those of you uh, for whom it was just like you said, beautiful, wonderful, worship, testify. To those of you who, like, who inhabit the destination of the place where people are told to go and see, can we commit to those things? And then finally, to those of you for whom it was not just like you were told. Where your experience of Christianity and the church is actually quite dissonant from what you were told about God. I want to suggest that you have a choice this morning. And you'll have this choice today and again tomorrow and again the next day. Because unfortunately and fortunately, the people, for whatever reason, God has chosen to reveal God's self, to use this broken group of people called humans to represent God in the world. And sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we don't. And so you're here faced with this decision where you came and maybe you experienced, maybe it wasn't just like they said it would be. And that's painful. And you, you have to decide, do I trust my own experience here? Or do I believe something that actually isn't, hasn't been lived out in my experience? And most sane, wise people would say, no, don't do that. Actually, trust your experience. And if, like, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on... Wait. <laughs> you remember that George Bush moment? <laughs> right? Yeah, right? I'm not going gonna, gonna, gonna to get taken again. I'm not going to keep giving myself to this thing, hoping, and then it never happens. You have a choice this morning. And I would just, like, offer the shepherds to you, humbly, to say, these are a group of people, and the scriptures are littered with them, for whom they were told, this is where you should go and this is what you will find, and it was just as they said it would be. It was just as the angels said it would be. That God is, in fact, that much good news. That when God arrives, God doesn't do it in the ways we think. It does, it's not power over. It's not domination. It's power under. It's vulnerability. It's sacrificial love. And that God says, this is the way home. And sometimes the people who represent that story get it right, and sometimes we don't. And so if you're here this morning, and for you it has not been just like you, they said, 
On behalf of the people who have said that, I'm deeply, deeply sorry. I'm hoping and praying and trying to gather a group of people together where when people come and they've been told it's just like this, that they would get a, they would get a taste of it. Where we would become and, and, and attempt to be and become the kinds of people for whom grace and forgiveness and mercy and justice and kindness and hospitality and sacrificial love would be an ever-increasing norm in our community. I can't control all the other communities. I can only control this one in my life. And so I would invite you this morning, if you've made your way into this space, as long as I have breath in my lungs, this is the kind of thing that I'm hoping this community becomes more and more of. And so I hope and pray that maybe you get a glimpse in this space with these people that it's just like the angels said. A baby will be wrapped in a, in a manger, in cloth, lying in a manger, and that baby is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the Lord of the universe. And in him, there is life and hope and joy and peace. And it is yours this Advent. Pray with me. God, this morning we take a deep breath in because we know that so many conflicting stories and experiences are all in this room together. For some, it's been a joy to participate in this good news gospel thing called the life of Jesus. For some, we, we're trying our best to represent so that if and when people come, they might get a glimpse and a taste of you. And for some of us, it's just not been like the angels said it would be. And so, Holy Spirit, it's my hope and prayer that in silence as we come to this table, which reminds us of how it is, even, even when it's at odds with our experience, this table communicates clearly, this is who I am. Vulnerable, sacrificial, love. That we would learn to trust that and that it would change us. So do the work in us now, I pray. My friends gathered this morning. Uh, my hope and my prayer is that these stories, these songs, um, this is one of my favorite Christmas hymns or carols. It like takes you all the way to the bottom and then says, actually, no, God is not dead. Hope is not dead. Peace is not dead. Love is not dead. And insofar as it lives in you and in me and in us, it's not dead in the world. So remember that as you do the ordinary things of your life, change diapers and greet the mailman, say hello to your coworker, insofar as it lives in you, peace, hope, love, joy, it's not dead. So let's make sure of it, amen? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said together, amen. amen, amen. Grace and peace, my friends. You can find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter. Play with the community. See you next time.